0: Knives Out is a puzzle put together with pieces of guilt, greed, and the context of truth. Are you just watching episode ninety-nine, Knives Out? Welcome to the podcast that shares critical thinking for the entertained Christian. I'm Eve Franklin.
1: I'm Tim Martin.
0: And we're doing a Who Done It this time. <laughs> this is not our usual genre.
1: <laughs> no, but this as if we're going to start with a who-done it that was that is classic, this one pretty well meets the bill.
0: Yeah, it's like a modern take on a classic. Yeah. 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 It's it's really well done. In fact, even the music kind of pays homage to the the classic genre of a who-done it and uh, the music's by Nathan Johnson, who I'm not familiar with. But when I was listening to, you know, to a Sons movie, just listening to the soundtrack, I was really impressed at the classical feel to it. And it it's just a, a really good, clean, easy to listen to <laughs> oh, classical the soundtrack. Yeah. soundtrack. Yeah. Yeah. We're not talking about the movie yet. We're talking about the soundtrack.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I liked uh in particular the opening song that it was a classical song that was playing uh, mm-hmm. as they introduced the viewer to the house and i really right. liked that i liked that song I, enough that i actually made a note of it and i almost never noticed the music right off unless it's like you know guardians of the galaxy and it's a mixtape
0: yeah this and i think that may have been i was when i was looking at the soundtrack itself uh they had that listed not as a separate composition so I think he may have composed it to sound mm. like an actual classical piece. It's it's called the String Quartet in G minor, but I, it may have been pulled in from another composer. Uh, it wasn't something I recognized, but that's, I'm not definitely a, a connoisseur of all things classical enough that I could uh, tell you exactly what composer did it. But it's not listed as a separate composer in the soundtrack, which is... Uh, interesting yeah so let's play a little bit of the music here just so that you can hear what we're talking about so the music definitely set the scene uh right right off the bat like you said and this movie introduces itself like just about Every whodunit TV show and novel, and dating back probably a hundred years or more, <laughs> it felt very classic. Yeah, starts right off with the discovery of the body, but in a modern setting, in a way.
1: Yeah, I, I actually came into this movie hoping for—I don't even remember what I called it—but hoping for you know a, a whodunit, and and I wasn't disappointed. Um, I was surprised with the complexity of the of the story. And uh, it it did. Uh, one of the articles you sent me uh, suggested, you know, that Agatha Christie was a a huge influence on on the overall story, and and you can definitely tell she was it. if you're mm-hmm. a fan of Christie. It's I really like the Poirot series on BBC, even though that was Christie's least favorite character to write. And the way they lay out the facts and everything in in Knives Out really does is reminiscent of of Christie's style that way.
2: Mhm.
0: Yeah, but what I I thought was a nice twist on this is like you could be walking into the you know like the the movie or the book or the game clue and you have all of these like very ornate and uh, uh stereotypical characters but they're all modern. So it he took like the classic story and then he then he stuck modern composite stereotypes into yeah. it. And so that was what, what felt so Interesting about the movie was everything was so classic about the Who Done It, but all of the characters, every single one of them, had a modern context and a ma- modern stereotype, and that just really brought this whole classic feel of the Who Done It into a modern genre. That it was an interesting clash.
1: Yeah, it's especially when you take the setting of the house where most of almost all of the scenes are filmed. Mm-hmm. It feels like everybody's great grandmother's house when they're 6 only on steroids with all the uh you know <laughs> the, the weird stuff sitting around mm-hmm. without any context you know a, a clown here or a a a dangling taxidermied elephant trunk or something like that uh, none of it makes any sense but it but it all feeds to the the atmosphere of the house really well um drawing in the feeling of the old-timey uh mystery
0: yeah yeah and the really cool thing about that was i think there was a line in the movie somewhere where one of the descendants of the main man who was killed made the comment about it being their ancestral home and (laughs) and they they had joked about it because he was a self-made man with his as a mystery writer and so he would bought this house you know it, <laughs> it wasn't like an ancestral home in,
1: in the 80s from a Pakistani
0: <laughs> yeah that was really funny well we're going to try, try and give our impressions of the movie for the next few minutes without giving away anything <laughs> that that because uh, uh, it is a whodunit you don't really want to know who did it until you've seen the movie and so we're going to cover just you know roughly uh, some of just the uh, the basic things a review would do, you know mm-hmm. talking about uh that kind of stuff, and then we'll give you fair warning before we start uh destroying the movie because we will uh definitely in our theme discussion uh talk about the persons or per the person or persons behind the murder, so uh we don't want to give that away right off the bat right right I was not expecting well, let's put it this way this movie was not what I was expecting it to be, and I thought the trailer was a teensy bit misleading in that way. It made it feel like a very, I don't know, kind of like a tongue-in-cheek comedy. Yeah. And it wasn't. And so about halfway through the movie, I quit. I had to quit looking for that and just give up and go, okay, this is actually a serious movie that that is homaging a genre. Mm. It's not a comedy. It's not tongue-in-cheek. It's serious and i then i had to move on from there but i really enjoyed it it was a very entertaining movie
1: yeah it's i i sort of got the the same impression from the trailers i expected more of a comedy aspect and th- don't get me wrong there is a lot funny in this movie but the the com- the comedic lines were all in the trailer mhm and uh it wasn't really a comedy but My mind was so engaged (laughs) with trying to figure out the mystery (laughs) that I didn't even notice. Yeah. And uh, I sort of felt like Daniel Craig was actually going to play, this is going to sound odd, but play a bigger role in the movie, even though he actually had one of the biggest roles in the movie. Yeah. I thought his character, Private Investigator Blanc, was going to be, you know, this central to the camera work for most of the movie. And he isn't.
0: Mm -mm. In fact, a good bit of the beginning, he's like sitting back in the shadows.
1: Yeah. (laughs) And I mentioned this in one of our our chats. I expected more like a Columbo type thing. And there was was some Columbo thrown in there, but it was not a Daniel Craig's vehicle. Right. This movie. And that was actually uh, one of the things that I liked... Uh, in particular about this movie, it's really hard, as we know, (laughs) to take a cast with this many big names in it and, you know, give everybody their fair share of screen time and, you know, the ability to make the character their own. And, uh, Rian Johnson did a a really good job with that. I, I think there's one scene very early on in the movie where. The detectives are interrogating each of the family members, and the entire camera work is just face-on to the character, the the family member that's being interrogated, and they're responding to the questions being asked and their answers. There's a lot of uh, really good expression work in there that I thought was very well done, communicated a lot to us beyond the words that they were using.
0: And what I really appreciated about those interrogation scenes is that then they give you the flashback of what really happened. So that mm-hmm. you're seeing the context of their answers in showing how they're lying about what actually happened. And I, the thing that I've always disliked about the mystery genre is is that it seems like the way that typically the mystery genre works is that... They withhold the information from the reader or the watcher, the viewer, until the end. And then they go, oh, and this is what happened. But in this movie, they didn't withhold any information. You were seeing the context of everything they were talking about. They were showing you a flashback and giving you the context. So they weren't withholding you any information from the viewer at all. And I really appreciated that because they still preserved the mystery. It's I
1: think that's. I, that that's the line for me between a good mystery and a great mystery. A mm-hmm. great mystery, the viewer gets to the end and says, "Oh, I can't believe I didn't figure that out." And a, just a good one is, "Oh, I wouldn't have thought of that." Mm-hmm. But yeah, you're right. They did. They gave you everything you needed to figure it out. But I don't think it's reasonable to think that anybody, <laughs> anybody actually did.
0: Yeah. Yeah, the, the the ending was still a surprise, and I did like the fact that each of the characters were unique enough that you didn't mix anybody up with anybody yep. else. So it with such a large cast of characters, I typically have a hard time telling them apart. You know, it's like okay, who did this and who did that, but they all looked unique. They all had unique names. They all uh, had unique positions in the plot. It was really easy to tell everybody apart. Yeah, what they. Contributed to what was going on?
1: Yeah, they were all they were all strong stereotypes without being generic. Like uh, Jamie Lee Curtis's character, Linda. You know, she uh, she's a self made woman, but the way she plays it, it's clear that that she has a much deeper personality. And same thing with uh, uh, Tony Collette, who is, is he? Uh, what what was it? Flom. <laughs> The the uh, the flower child uh, health mm-hmm. health magnet health or whatever yeah, yeah. health nut <laughs> definitely nut emphasis on nut all three yes. letters capital.
0: Now there were some bad language in this movie. In fact, it, it was interesting because the one actor that those of us who have done a lot of superhero
2: movies
0: <laughs> <laughs> know as being portraying a character who's very clean uh he portrays a character with a very uh dirty mouth and so i would say the vast majority of the bad language is from him
1: yeah i would say at least 75 percent of the language is from captain america's mouth
0: yeah (laughs) or the same mouth that captain america spoke out of
1: (laughs) america's mouth
0: america's mouth yeah so that was probably I would say the worst thing in this movie. There were some suggestions made as to like affairs and and that yeah. and all the and you do see a murder, but other than that, the movie was actually not that bad except for the language. The language was what kicked it over
1: yeah i my... I was with as as prominent as the language was in the trailer. I was a little surprised that it wasn't rated r <laughs> but now, having seen it.
0: They kept it under the limit, just barely.
1: <laughs> yeah, every, everything else that I expected to be uh, in there, you know, that that would increase the rating, really wasn't. So, mm-hmm. still, it, the language did make me a little uncomfortable.
0: Yeah, and if you want to know more about that, I do recommend you go check out the plugged-in review where they actually count the words. <laughs> but if you've seen the trailer, you already know where some of the bad words are. Yeah. As Tim has already mentioned, uh, I also recommend their review. It's actually a pretty entertaining review. <laughs> Almost as entertaining as the movie.
1: Yeah. Uh one one last first impression for me was uh I I liked the way that they uh toy with the audience's opinions of the characters. Mm-hmm. It's I actually noted at the very opening of the movie we we start with the What I consider to be the main character, Marta. She's the, the nurse. And at the very opening, she's coming into the house after the funeral, you know, and, and everybody's greeting her like she's, like she's family. And I really, I thought, okay, these guys aren't, aren't too bad. Maybe the, the Evans character is just the bad one of the, the black sheep of the family. But Johnson and, and the creative team, they do a, a really good job kicking off things that make you go okay so they're not great people but they're okay people okay they're they're not okay people but they're (laughs) they're i i can still see it and then you just get to the point with a couple of them you're like oh okay this person does not need to be around
0: yeah yeah and you know there was that one line they kept repeating I think at least we heard it at least twice. Where it's too bad you weren't at the funeral. I (laughs) I wanted you to be there, but I was. I was outvoted. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And that was from different characters, so you Mm -hmm. can tell they were that the truth was not their bosom buddy. And the final comment I wanted to make before we we leave the non spoiler section was that there was a lot of political commentary in this movie. But it seemed to be couched in the kind of way – I mean, it's almost not like the movie was trying to make itself politically relevant by discussing political hot topics. I think it was brought up more in, you know, like you get a group – you get a family together.
1: of Thanksgiving diverse, table type.
0: Yeah. And they immediately start arguing about their favorite political uh, things, and it turns into arguments. And it was it was very representative of probably what happens in a lot of
2: families. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so –
0: so they they snuck the political commentary in there, but it was like in as, as like a family infighting kind of thing, and I don't really feel like anybody took s- severe positions. There may have been one position that the movie really did take on a on a political hot topic, and we can get mm-hmm. discuss that later. But that in the was spoiler f- section, in the spoiler section, yeah, but that, for the most part. The political commentary was not in your face in this movie. It was more of a this is how normal people argue about hot topic issues Mm -hmm. (laughs) or not quite so normal people. I don't know whether you would call they were stereotypical people. Yeah. (laughs) But so from now on, we need to jump right in and discuss some of our topics. And there's no way to do it without talking about. Definitely who not. who did it? So, uh, if you don't want to have that spoiled, this would be a good time to pause, go watch the movie, uh, and then come back and finish our review.
1: I do want to stress that this was a very rewarding movie. When it comes to whodunits, um, mm-hmm. you get you get to the end of the movie and you feel like you've worked along with the the movie itself to to figure it out. So, if you have ever a sense that you might want to see this movie go see it before you listen to this, at least because the reveal at the end is, is good enough that we don't want to ruin it for you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Even to the point where I asked in our, in our group, if anybody had any thoughts that they wanted to share that they share it without giving away spoilers, <laughs> which is really difficult to do. And nobody took me up on it. So. All righty. well, Entering our spoiler section, the first thing we have to talk about is accident versus premeditation. Because this movie really is centered around, you know, the, the get-go and the, the big reveal. Well, it's not really the, the halfway, half to, halfway to the big reveal was that it was a suicide. Because that was the initial call. The initial thing was that Harlan had committed suicide. And But then this detective was hired uh, anonymously to come in and solve it as a murder, and he didn't know who hired him, but he was going to look at all the facts one more time just to make sure there wasn't foul play, and it turns out there was foul play, but Harlan did commit suicide, Mm -hmm. and we know this halfway through the movie because we see it in a flashback, but we still don't have all the information to know that there was a premeditated murder involved but not the person who... It's just so complex.
1: Yes, yeah. The murder victim at the end of the movie is not the murder victim you're expecting at the beginning of the movie.
0: Yeah, yeah. Not the victim, but the uh, the person who did it. They make it look like, and uh, from the articles that I've read, this was fully intentional to, to create this complexity of characters that about halfway through the movie, you find out that Marta feels responsible for Harlan's death and Mm -hmm. the reason she does feel responsible is because she thinks that she gave Harlan the wrong medication and she told him when she realized the mistake that he only had like 15 minutes to live and so he committed suicide in order to prevent himself from dying from her what would have been malpractice and so that she would not be blamed so he committed suicide to save Marta from being guilty of murder. And it was a very very interesting twist. And that's not even the twist that ends the movie. Yeah, no kidding. But what I was thinking about that was that what she, she, if she had accidentally given him the wrong medication, which is the way they set it up, she would not have been guilty of murder she would especially if she had called 911 and tried to rectify it which they wouldn't have made it in time but
1: mm-hmm.
0: that was the whole point was they they couldn't have gotten help there the medicine that was supposed to be in her bag to reverse the bad dosage was not there and she knew she had it but she couldn't find it and she was panicking and we find out why it wasn't there later yep but she did not premeditate murder Right. And there was uh, bringing this immediately to Scripture. The Old Testament is very interesting in the way it sets out law regarding murder. In fact, this was, I think, in the time of the Old Testament, this was the very first time that law allowed for somebody to be guilty of manslaughter, but not murder. And because prior to that, if you were responsible for somebody's death, whether it was an accident or intentional, it was, you know, you were still, you know, subject to being killed for it. And it was the God's law in in Numbers 35, where it it differentiates between Mm -hmm. somebody who kills by accident versus somebody who has a premeditated or even a hot tempered desire to murder somebody. And we do find out in this movie that Harlan's murder was premeditated, but it wasn't premeditated by Marta. Marta was set up to take the blame for someone right. else's premeditated murder.
1: If if reality had kicked in, Marta would have been guilty of nothing more than malpractice.
0: Right. And in this case, she didn't even wasn't even guilty of malpractice because it turns out that she instinctively gave the correct medication. The labels had been switched and harlan didn't need to die which was the really the i think the saddest aspect of the movie was that he gave his life to keep her from being guilty of -hmm. giving him the wrong medication and it turned out she gave him the right medication by instinct and he didn't need to die i think that was probably the saddest part the fact that he he did commit suicide though is in a slightly different position as something, you know, because we were talking about this when we were were talking about the movie Harriet where, Mm -hmm. you know, taking your life to uh, get away from a life of bondage where you weren't free or whatever, you know, as, as a means of escape. Harlan actually gave his life sacrificially. Right. And it's not really in that aspect, I don't know that it could really be counted as a suicide even though he took his own life he did it to benefit Marta. And yeah, it in wasn't his mind, he was act. a
1: dead man already. Mm-hmm. He was sacrificing the time he had left in hopes that it would prevent marta from taking the brunt of the blame.
0: Yeah, and he had this entire thing all planned out. He told her, you know, what to do, how to do it, and how to remove <laughs> all suspicion from her. That was and a then good he, scene too. Yeah, and then he made her promise that she would follow up and do all of those things as a as a promise to a dying man, and so. He had it all worked out. He was like, she's not taking the blame for my murder, and I'm going to make sure that she doesn't. And the only reason why she even sees it and gets blood on her is because she has second thoughts and turns back Mm -hmm. and just in time to see him slit his own throat. So to me, it was the most interesting twist of the whole movie was that the victim gave his life to try and protect the person who was set up to take take the blame for the murder. And that was, I think, the best twist in the whole movie because that is representative of really what Jesus has done for us because it's the, that whole John fifteen thirteen, greater love is no one than this, that they mm. lay down their life for their friends. And that's what Jesus did. He laid down his life for us so that we didn't get what we would deserve. So there was this whole difference between. Accident versus premeditation. It was accidental what she did, and yet he gave his life for her.
1: He he knew the stakes too.
0: hmm. He had given. Her, he had made her his sole heiress.
1: Yeah, and she didn't and know that, that at the time. Either. She did not
0: know <laughs> that he did. Yeah.
1: But he also knew that her entire family depended on her, including her mother, who was in the country illegally. Mm-hmm. So he knew that an investigation into his death as even as malpractice would mm-hmm. have resulted in it coming to light that Marta's mother was an illegal immigrant immigrant right so he it, I, I feel like they did a good job of you know raising the stakes enough that that seems like a reasonable conclusion for him to make in the circumstances
0: right but what I th- what's interesting about this is and, and like I mentioned earlier in our non spoiler section is they give you the, the flashbacks as people are being interrogated about what happened. And so we've seen several flashbacks prior to Marta's flashback where we've seen uh, a lot of the uh, that all pretty much all of the family members had had some kind of interaction with Harlan the night of his birthday party in which he had cut them out of the will and he told them that he'd cut them out of the will that they weren't going to get anything from him and so we had a preponderance of motives among the family as to who would want him dead and they didn't <laughs> interview everybody but the main the main children like the first generation uh, had all been interviewed and so this was this was something that had a huge stake for the family that he would write them out of their will. And it turns out that Marta didn't know that he was writing them all of the will, but she didn't know that he had made her the sole he- heiress of his fortune.
1: It, you know, there's the scene where they're doing the flashback for her and Harlan, uh, when he's setting up everything mm-hmm. in the discussion leading up to the accidental dosage. There are a couple comments in that dialogue that made me, Seriously, wonder if she might not actually be guilty and was manipulating him to write all the family members out of the will. Right, but I gave up on that like maybe two thirds of the way through the movie because she was just being too goody two shoes.
0: Yeah, well, the fact that she she couldn't fathom how to even lie that untruth <laughs> makes her gives her a gag reflex. It's like this this woman is very much. A good person who is you know what she is I kind of have a little bit of the same problem I don't regurgitate when I try to lie but when I when I'm saying something that I know is a lie I tend to giggle so (laughs) I kind of give myself away Um, it's it's really hard when you've been raised to be a truthful person to just Mm -hmm. be two-faced like that and she is presented her character is presented as someone who's totally incapable of maintaining a lie which is yeah. terrific <laughs> uh,
1: Blanc's uh, the character of Blanc calls it a regurgitive reaction to mistruthing
0: <laughs> but you know and and at the same time through the whole movie you know she feels guilty because you see her she's just steeped in guilt she feels like she killed Harlan and and so she's working really hard to stay away from being directly questioned about such things you know Uh, Harlan had coached her on how to talk, how to give testimony as to what happened without actually saying a lie. Because she told Harlan, she says, you know, I can't lie. And so he had coached her as to how to work around Mm -hmm. the truth so that she wouldn't have to actually say a lie. But she felt guilty through the whole movie. And you could tell that she did. And, And it was just burning a hole through her soul. And that... And that's the way guilt should be. We sh- we should not be able to live with something that is, especially those of us who are Christians. You know, that that guilt that uh, the spirit within us should just really poke our conscience us. over, no, yeah. convict us about it. You know that we shouldn't feel comfortable uh, in in doing something wrong. Uh,
1: one scripture that I didn't think about until we were discussing it was, uh, and I actually have it. Uh, Printed out and hanging <laughs> on the wall behind me uh, psalm eighty two three through four um, it 's a song of asaph and it 's talking about the plea for righteous judgment, but these two verses provide justice for the needy and for the fatherless, uphold the rights of the oppressed and the destitute, rescue the poor and needy, and save them from the power of the wicked. Mm. this whole section, but these two particular verses were sort of what uh helped. Inspire me when I was in the army because I really feel like, at least at the individual level, the soldiers and airmen and sailors and marines and the, the guardsmen, um, they all come to the job with this sense of mission of what they want to do. They want to provide justice and protect the needy and, and the orphans. And, you know, there are calls throughout Scripture from from the very beginning to the very end to care for the orphans and the widows. So it's written into our DNA. Uh, It's part of God's influence on the world, his common grace, that we should want to do that. Mm -hmm. The way that they presented Harlan as doing this all to save Marta and her family, I thought was really well done. I do want to say, though as somebody who has been very close to morphine uh, being delivered my wife had a giant cell tumor removed from her leg back in 2000 and was on a, a morphine drip there is no way that 6 minutes after a such a vast overdose of morphine that he could possibly have been that coherent <laughs> No, well, I, I point. don't care I don't care if he was an addict
0: <laughs> to be honest that was the point because he he didn't give himself a chance to determine yeah. whether or not he actually was being affected by an overdose we know from the end of the movie that he didn't that he wasn't overdosed and so the fact that he wasn't Uh, incoherent or weak or any of the he wasn't showing any symptoms of being overdosed there at the end
1: you know when when we watch science fiction movies we have to suspend our disbelief about the the technology used when we watch uh supernatural movies like the the prestige we have to sort of suspend our disbelief about stuff like that and i think this this whole concept of the of Marta thinking that she had accidentally overdosed him on morphine. Uh That's where I think the suspension disbelief was most difficult for me because it, it really would have been he would have been laid out within a minute of such a, a significant overdose. And that was the biggest problem that we had with the movie. But it was really such a small problem. We were willing to suspend our disbelief. And that probably should have gone back to the, the, the like and dislike section, but it's a spoiler, so I couldn't say it there.
0: Yeah. Well, and it, I think it, it does fit in that she was so emotionally distraught from the, even the thought that mm. she had given him an overdose that she wasn't thinking clearly enough to realize that he wasn't showing any symptoms. So I think that that, that could be ex- explained away, but you're right, it probably she had said 10 to 15 minutes max it probably wouldn't have taken that long. I don't. I mean, I, I've dealt with a little bit with morphine too because we were giving significant doses of it to my granny in her final um, days. But it's not something to play around with, definitely. No. But anyway, the point of the matter was she thought she'd done it, and so she was dealing with all this guilt all the way through the movie of trying to, to keep Harlan's wishes that she not be held responsible for his murder but at the same time feeling this overwhelming guilt that she just had to get it off her chest. So that was, uh, I I thought, one of the the biggest themes in the movie was dealing with guilt and whether or not uh, a murder by accident versus a murder by premeditation. Because technically, the person who did switch the medications hadn't actually murdered anybody, but his Mm -hmm. premeditation... Was to murder somebody? It was like a conspiracy. It would be a conspiracy to murder.
1: Attempted murder, at least.
0: Attempted murder. Yeah. Yeah. So and and he didn't feel any guilt at
1: all. (laughs) I think he was a. Is it a sociopath or a psychopath who possesses no capacity for regret? One of those two.
0: Yeah, I think a sociopath. Yeah.
1: Definitely, definitely falls into that category.
0: Yeah. So that brings us to the topic of greed, because the whole premise of this movie, really, uh, setting Marta aside, who is actually a good person and a good nurse, is that this entire family are a pack of vultures. I mean, they were all were living off of the wealth of a self made man, because Harlan was a, a mystery writer, he had come up with some best selling novels, he'd made his fortune himself, he'd started with a a broken down typewriter and nothing and he made himself into a millionaire and and then he'd raised four children who were very uh what's the word spoiled and <laughs> I think spoiled was probably the nicest part of that, but Yep. Um in fact Blanc calls them a pack of vultures at the feast, knives out and beaks bloody. This was going into the will reading. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that was obviously where the movie's title comes from, because everybody there was willing to stab everybody else in the back. They all had reasons why somebody else was to blame for the foul play. And in fact, all of the interviews were pointing fingers at, well, you know, this this happened to someone else. They were all saying what happened to someone else instead of what happened to them at the birthday party. So they were all trying to point fingers at someone else. And it was all because they all knew going to the birthday party that they were all going to be cut from the. They didn't know everybody was good. They just knew themselves that they were going to be cut from the will. Right. And they were hoping that if none of them actually said that, that Harlan had not actually gotten the chance to change his will (laughs) because he got (laughs) killed that night, not knowing that he had already changed the will prior and was just informing them that they had been cut out of the will that night.
1: Now that I think about it, uh Linda, she didn't know anything about the will, did she? It's because it was her husband, Richard Drysdale, that had confronted Harlan. Yeah. But then Linda was also best set to not care about being written out of the will because she... Had her own fortune. She had built up her own fortune. She had actually, of all the children, she was the most like her father
0: yeah well i really appreciated that that whole because she when when they were interviewing her she made the comment about how uh she had to figure out a way of communicating with your with her father she's it was like we had our own secret way of communicating and the secret to dealing with harlan was that you had to find a game to play with him and as long as you played by his rules you were okay Mm -hmm. and we don't find out until the end of the movie what her their secret form of communication was and it got around her husband <laughs> because the whole point of their argument that her husband had with harlan was that he knew that he was cheating on on her on linda and that he was going to tell her if if her husband didn't tell her and so he fi- he went the first thing he did was go and try and find the letter that Harlan had showed him that he'd already written and sealed to give to Linda. And when he opened it, it was blank. Mm -hmm. And so he felt he felt okay. So he just left it laying on the desk at which Linda found it later and heated it up and there was invisible ink on it. (laughs) And that was their secret form of communication. I thought that was kind of fun.
1: You could almost see in Don Johnson's face a belief. Oh, he was bluffing all along. Yeah. Uh, but the the reveal of the invisible ink I thought I thought was really good.
0: And it and it was it was so after the fact. It was like everything was done by then. Yeah. And they just made the point of her opening the note and then heating it up and and seeing what the message was so nonchalantly at the end of the movie. It was like Ha-ha-ha.
1: And you know it they actually had delivered the puzzle piece much earlier in the movie about a very very strict prenup. Mhm that they had so you knew as soon as she read the secret message you knew that he was going to be completely destitute yeah (laughs) because johnson had lined up all the pieces for you before the reveal of of the contents of that letter and it was such a minor story element there but it was really well done
0: yeah, well it spoke to the greed because that was why so many of the members of the family were even showing up for the birthday party. They all yep. had uh some they were all preserving the surface of their relationships with their father or grandfather in order to be re- made sure that they, you know, profited from it. It was all about greed. And it really brought to mind to me the whole concept of I don't know about raising your children the right way because mm-hmm. it, he knew what it was. He'd come from nothing and he made his fortune. He could have easily taught his children these lessons before they grew up and left the home, but he didn't somehow or another. And he was trying to use his will and his death to, I guess, shake them up and, and force them to learn a lesson that they really should have learned as children being raised in mm-hmm. his home. And they didn't learn it. Then they, grew up to be very privileged and selfish and greedy and you know it's kind of a little late you
2: know (laughs) to
0: be to be trying to teach them those lessons greed is dealt with quite a bit in the bible and sometimes it's it's in context sometimes it's not obviously in proverbs it's in a general context where it says whoever is greedy for unjust gain troubles his own household and we really saw that a lot in this (laughs) In this movie. That was
1: definitely a troubled household.
0: Yeah, that's Proverbs fifteen twenty seven. 27. The corollary to that is, but he who hates bribes will live. And, I, you know, the, this, this movie definitely shows how greed can destroy relationships because none of the siblings were getting along. They were all pointing mm-hmm. fingers at each other.
1: Behind their backs.
0: Behind their backs. Yeah, they're, yeah. They're, the knives were definitely out. Um, they all had something to gain a motive for wanting Harlan dead. Maybe Linda, least of all. But, you know, even Blanc mentions it later. He's like every single one of the members of the family had something to gain. The only person who didn't was Marta. Mm -hmm. And and yet the evidence was pointing at her, which is why I think Blanc was willing to sit back for so long and try and work out what was going on, because he, he didn't. While the evidence was pointing at her, he really didn't believe her capable of doing it. And so he was looking to figure out what the actual context of the truth was in that. But it was everybody else was so greedy, you know, and in Jeremiah 6, 13, and the context of this, of course, is important because Jeremiah is written to Israel. It's God's judgment against Israel. And they were getting what they deserved because they had turned on him multiple times and he was bringing judgment against them. And this was actually in God's words to Israel as to his reasons why he was bringing judgment upon them. And it was for from the least to the greatest of them. Everyone is greedy for unjust gain and from prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. Mm -hmm. And I think that to be honest, throw a little bit towards politics right now. They talk about the draining the swamp in Washington (laughs) Mm
2: -hmm. and it's
0: like, Everybody from the least to the greatest of them is greedy for unjust gain and from prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. Mm -hmm. And there may be a few really good people in our government, but the vast majority of them are in it for unjust gain. And so that's something that we have to deal with in every aspect of our lives, especially those who are unsaved because they don't have a standard by which to, to live by, that People are just greedy. That's we're all selfish. We're all greedy. And it's only the the indwelt spirit that can even pull us away from that and to to be better people to not do things for selfish reasons, because we want to be we want to do it, that.
1: It, you know, when we when at least when I think of the word greed, the whole concept of greed, my mind originally it automatically goes to bank account balance. <laughs> But that's that this movie actually emphasizes for me, at least that that's not what greed actually is because at no point does it actually suggest that they all have lush bank accounts, but it makes it a point of showing how the money is affecting their lives. In, in Walt's Mm -hmm. case, you know, it's his job because his job is publishing his dad's books Mm -hmm. in uh, Joni's case. Joni was actually defrauding Harlan by double dipping on the tuition that Harlan was paying for her daughter to go to school. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it reminds us that uh, money is just the start. It's just the root. Mm -hmm. And that brought to mind for me 1 Timothy 6.10, for love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And I like this one in particular because Paul is talking to Timothy about brothers and sisters in Christ. Mm-hmm. So having the spirit is not the end all protection. There, there's still the old man in there that's going to want the comfort that comes with that greed. You know, not having to worry about the next uh, the next paycheck or <laughs> some place to live, stuff like that.
0: Well, and I think a lot of people build fantasies. You know, if I had this kind of money, this is what I would do with it. And I just, I, you know, I, I sometimes have gotten that vibe from my dad. You know, he he's bemoaned his whole life why he God wouldn't bless him with a lot of money. Mm. And I think sometimes that God gives us what He knows we can handle. And he doesn't push us into sin. So if he knows that our nature is going to pull us away from the faith, you know, yeah, then he's going to withhold some of what would con- be we would consider in an earthly earthly sense blessings, because he knows those blessings will turn into curses, and he doesn't want to test us beyond what we can, uh, in the spirit, hold on to. And and but at the same time, we do see people that fall into error. And um, because they have allowed greed or uh, some other sin to uh, take dominion in their life.
1: It it, be- it becomes a matter of faith, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. I have exactly the amount of of money, of employment, of house that God intends me to have. But I don't have the faith that he's getting it right. <laughs> 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 you know, I, I joke at church uh, that... You know, as soon as I win the lotto, I'm buying the church a new bus yeah uh, we we have this old broken up broken down nineteen nineties van that that uh, you literally have to pull a cable to open the back door, but I'm not supposed to win the lotto. it's granted I'd have to play yeah but...
0: <laughs> that's always my corollary if yeah. I played the lottery <laughs> exactly
1: <laughs> but you know yeah, a winning lotto ticket could blow through the window. God can do that. <laughs> But it really does come down, it comes down to uh, just a a magnifier on the fact that we don't have as much faith as we need to have. And having recently gone through unemployment, that's particularly pertinent for me. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, God does provide our needs, but I think especially in a culture like ours where we we have so much, it's so easy to lose sight of what the difference is between needs and wants, because a, a lot of when you're so wealthy, you know, your idea of what you need is so much over, more overblown than God fulfilling your daily bread, which is what he told us to pray for, you know, give us this day, our daily bread, not bread for the next year, not bread for the next 10 years, not a, <laughs> you know, fluffy retirement account, not medical insurance, not all of these things that we think that we absolutely need to have. Yeah. So it's really easy for us to lose sight of what greed actually looks like in our privileged lives. But this movie definitely gives you the stereotype.
1: Yeah. It helps to show the full extent of the greed.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, I did mention it slightly in that last theme, but uh, there is this, this concept of truth requiring context, because, as I mentioned before, Blanc has, I think, figured out fairly early on that... Even though he has told her that he believes that she has no motive, he actually does think that the evidence is pointing at Marta. He just doesn't know why it's pointing at Marta. And I think that that gives him this desire to just keep watching, keep looking, keep not just jump to a conclusion and run with it. He wants to see what the context of the truth was. So there was this line uh, near the end of the movie that I'm not entirely sure I have correct, because once again, we were taking notes in a dark theater and I can't read my Very own Very dark writing. theater. <laughs> this was a dark movie. So I think the theater was even darker than usual. But I think it was something to this order. The complexity lies not in the truth, but what you do with the truth once you have it. And... What I found interesting about that is he presents himself. He says at the beginning of the movie that he's a respectful, quiet, passive observer of the truth. So he sits back and he just looks for the truth. And that's how how he works as a as a detective. And you do see him doing a lot of that. In fact, he doesn't even start out questioning anybody. He just sits in the back and lets the policeman do it. And he just listens and little quirk he has at the beginning is he whenever they get off topic, he hits a note on the piano that he's sitting next to like, (laughs) next, move on. (laughs) But yeah, we find out at the end of the movie that he saw a spot of blood on Marta's shoe right up from the beginning when he first met her. And so I think from the beginning, he thought that she was present at the murder, but he does not see her as being somebody who's capable and so he was willing to go through and wait and look for the context of the truth, kind of stay with it until it all made sense to him. And and he does what is it, Colombo style, kind of all at the end <laughs> reveal. Yeah. Yeah. I just thought that was really interesting that he talks about truth having a context that it's not just bald-faced truth that you have to do something with that truth that that is I guess where the importance lies is not having the truth, but what you do with it. And yeah. truth is a big, big aspect of who God is. And so we see truth. In fact, Jesus is actually referred to as the truth in, mm-hmm. in scripture. He's like the way, sh- the
1: truth in the light.
0: He's the way, the truth and the life. And, uh, and he's also, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And that truth is Jesus. And so just if, if you place that, into a biblical context, that it's not knowing the truth that's important, that it's what you do with the truth that's important.
1: You know, in modern sense, uh, there's a church out there, the the one that protests veterans' oh. burials. Uh, Joan, is it Jonesboro Baptist? I try I to can't forget remember about if them. Yeah. yeah it's, <laughs> I might be mixing them up with the folks who went down to Brazil and committed suicide in the 70s. Yeah. But uh, people... Westboro. I think, Westboro. That's it. People like to grab portions of the truth that validate their own opinions. And I think that is the, the worst kind of lie. There's the old quote that's uh, attributed to Mark Twain. Uh, there are three kinds of lies. Lies, damnable lies, statistics. <laughs> yeah. and statistics. Yeah. Because you could uh, twist it-
0: statistics to say anything
1: exactly statistics are truth are the very element of truth it's it's taking the facts and manipulating them and i think that's what's being emphasized here is truth out of context can be just as damaging by people who want to misuse it
0: right yeah and it just to me i i got to thinking is like there's some interesting connotation to what he says you know that it's not just the truth it's what you do with the truth once you have it
2: mm-hmm.
0: that if we go ahead and plug Christ into this, you know, because in, in Scripture, he is the truth, right? So if we rephrase this, the complexity of Christian life uh, lies not in Christ, but what you do with Christ once you have him. Mm-hmm. And
1: That's like the book of James summarized <laughs> in two yeah, sentences.
0: Yeah, uh, it's just an interesting way to use the word because that's that's so true in my church, we're working through the candles of the Advent. And today's Advent candle is, is love, right? Mm-hmm. And our associate pastor was preaching this morning, and he was talking about how uh, as Christians, most people uh, have like a bucket that they fill with, you know, the, the things that people pour into their lives. And so you can have a bucket full of love, and then you, you carry that bucket of love around with you because everybody, you know, God or other people in your life are pouring into that bucket. But as Christians, we are supposed to be a pipe, not a bucket. We're supposed to be the love pouring into us, transferring that love into other people's lives. And, and he actually used buckets and pipes. It was really cool. It was this really wonderful object lesson at, about how we're supposed to be pipes. We're not supposed to be buckets. We're not supposed to be the end result of what god is doing in our life we're supposed to be coming pipes and sending that truth that love that hope all of those things that god pours into us into other people's lives and i don't know it just that fits really well
2: (laughs) with this quote (laughs) you know
0: that that it's not what we do with god's love and grace and truth it's not just having that it's what we do with it, how we broadcast it to those around us, how we live in such a way that people know who we are, that it just comes out of us in a beautiful way.
1: And, you know, it's, we're, we're actually told what to do with it in the Great Commission. Mm-hmm. It's Jesus came near them and said to them, all authority has been given me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age.
0: Which leads us, and believe it or not, our time is evaporating. This is such a good discussion. (laughs) I want to get one last theme in here, and that is uh, the theme of inheritance, because one of the major things that's going on in this movie is, you know, the concept of being written out of a will. And the fact that Marta ends up with everything, you know, that basically Harlan cuts all of his family out and gives his entire fortune, his house and everything to his nurse. Because that's what she was, was his nurse. Mm -hmm. And the reason I thought this was important was that in scripture, we see a type of inheritance talked about, and it's an inheritance of grace that we don't deserve. And grace is so undeserved. It's like we are dirty, filthy, rotten sinners. We have done absolutely nothing to earn the grace that God has given us and we deserve death. That is in in Romans. It says that the wages of sin is death. So we're all sinners and our wages are death. That's what we have earned. But yet Mm. God gave us an inheritance of grace and we become adopted into his family through the blood of Christ. We didn't earn any of that. It's an undeserved inheritance. And when you look at what's going on in this movie, all of the children think that they have that they deserve harlan's inheritance, but they didn't really earn it, and they didn't deserve it because of the way they treated him, the way they treated each other they what they deserved was bad stuff, and so they got bad stuff because they were unrepentant, where marta wasn 't his offspring, and yet she got the entire inheritance, and that she's kind of like the the surrogate child, you know, like the
2: The adopted
0: adopted child, which is what we are to God, you know, that that adopted grace. And it's it's um, I don't know. It's just I thought it was a very beautiful picture that in the end, the inheritance went to the person who in some ways she did deserve it because she was there for him. She was the friend that he needed in his later years. But at the same time, she she was outside of the family and he gave it to her instead of them.
1: And, you know, I liked in the presentation of the movie how all of the second generation thrombies, they all made an effort to make Marta feel like she was a member of the family. And they said it a number of times. You're one of the mm-hmm. family. Yeah. They called her kiddo like she was one of their own kids. And But they were all insincere. And you, you learn that as, as the movie <laughs> goes on. Yeah, uh, But they were all insincere. And when it came down to it, she was the one to receive the inheritance. And they went wild.
0: They were trying to find legal ways to disinherit her and all these kind of things.
1: Legal ways and illegal ways. I mean, yeah. Walt even came to her back, or not her back door, came to her door and, and tried to blackmail her. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it just goes to show that that we We all have this desire to belong to a family and and the family that we should want to desire to uh, is is god 's family. We want to be son or daughter of god
0: and then and and the the corollary to that is that we don 't deserve it and exactly yet god, and yet God gave it to us anyway and freely, that's, freely. and that 's the beautiful thing about the whole. Picture that's created with marta is that she didn't she wasn't anticipating being made the the heiress, and she felt so guilty she was planning on giving it up, even though it was what Harlan wanted was for her to have it and you know in the end you know that it, she didn't deserve it, but she got it anyway, and that's the way we are we don't deserve it, and we get it anyway
1: and you know Harlan's final act was to protect that desire as well. I don't Mm -hmm. know why I didn't think of it before, but if she had even accidentally overdosed him, uh, it would have been, uh, they talked about it in the, in the legal scene, it would have been the Slayer law Mm -hmm. because she would have been convicted in a civil court. Definitely. Right. So um, Harlan knew that not only was he protecting Martin and her family, but he was protecting his desire that she inherit his fortune yeah and i I don't know why I didn't see that until <laughs> until just now,
0: yeah, yeah, and i I just think that. This whole movie was really a terrific picture of some really interesting spiritual things, and I'm glad that we were able to get a chance to talk about it. And uh, to be honest, there's still a lot more in this movie we could talk about because there was the the housekeeper who uncovered Mm. the plot, and and it was all because of her that Blanc was able to come up with the correct. You know what? We've actually managed to protect everybody from knowing
1: who actually did. Oh yeah, we have, haven't we? We we haven't we haven't revealed that did it? <laughs> it.
0: we have only the only thing we have spoiled was that Marta didn't do it. So right. that's kind of the build up through most of the movie that Marta is the person who is set up to take the fall. I don't think that we've actually said who switched the
1: medications around. Fran was the housekeeper's name.
0: Yes, Fran was the housekeeper
1: and she delivered in in the very end she delivered the key piece of information
0: after an overdose of morphine that should have killed her within 10 minutes and she went and it was in right, it's like exactly. 2 hours
1: later <laughs> <laughs> there is that suspension of disbelief
0: well i think that pretty much does it
1: yeah and there there is still quite a bit uh to discuss Perhaps we could see, uh, we have uh, two of our group members who said that they were hoping to see it soon. Yeah. Once once they see it, hopefully we can get some discussion going on in the Facebook group.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Which you can get to by going to com slash community. That'll take you directly to the group and you can ask to join. We will let you in. So we don't have any stops to letting anybody in. Mm-hmm. So- we just keep it private so that you have to ask to get in. That just prevents just anybody from...
1: Yeah, it prevents the bots, really. <laughs>
0: yeah. So you can do that. You can also comment on the show notes, which will be at com slash 99. You can call us at five one three eight one eight two nine five nine and leave a voicemail. Or you can email feedback at com. And as we're approaching the end of the year, I really would appreciate if people would uh, consider going to our patreon.com slash are you just watching page and consider giving us a small monthly gift uh, we have our support has dwindled this year and uh, it it's not hurting us yet but it will in the future because we have uh, built up a, a little bit of, an, of of an account on past donations but in the future this could severely hurt us if we don't start getting some support to keep us going.
1: If you don't want to use Patreon for some reason, just reach out to us, and I'm I'm sure we can come up with an alternative.
0: Right, right. Make sure that you're checking our group page and our Facebook page, because our Christian podcast community is starting a contest. Actually, probably before, it'll probably have started by the time we get this podcast out, because um, it's probably going to take us a a week of post-production to get this podcast out. (laughs) But starting the middle of December and going through the end of January or February, I can't remember, they're doing this big, massive contest giveaway in which you have to go in and click and like and, and check out some of the other podcasts of the Christian podcast community. And in so doing, you get your name put in for a drawing of this massive theology giveaway. And we'll have a direct link to that in our show notes uh, so that you can go, go check it out. We'll also be promoting it on our Facebook page and possibly in our group as well. But we want everybody to have a chance to get involved in that. It's going to be, I, I think the, the value of the giveaway is already over $700. So it's mm. going to be a really big box when, if you win it. So it would be worth co- going after and checking out and seeing if it's something that you would like to, to get involved with. But that will help you kind of get familiar with the, our fellow podcasters, the growing community. They're adding podcasts almost monthly now. So it's, uh, it's a group of very interesting podcasts. So we hope that you check out the rest of our Christian podcast community. Mm-hmm. I believe that's it. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Eve Franklin.
1: I'm Tim Martin. And don't just watch.